Well, hey everybody, today is our last weekend in the series called You Asked For It, and, and for those of you who are new, we've taken uh, some questions, and, and uh, you know, maybe somebody says, hey, what does the Bible say about this, or, or what does God say about that? And uh, we've taken those questions and really uh, tried to provide answers from God's Word. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten those questions from the communication cards that many of you filled in and, and uh, handed in, or even texted them in. And, and actually, uh, again, this weekend, you can text your questions. If you didn't have a chance to maybe send one in or, or to share that question with us, you can text that, num- that question in uh, to this number, 723-5662. And, and if we have time at the end, uh, we're going to answer some of those as, uh, as, we, uh, as we go here. So, so, Pastor Robbie, is there anything that you'd like to share before we dig in? I'm still shook up from the singing. <laughs> Wow, thank you, God, for saving me. Amen? That's right. Wow, what an awesome song. But uh, it's just a joy to be able to share God's Word together um, and just uh, just had so much fun this series. I hate to see it kind of end to some extent, but uh, come back next week. We'll still be in God's Word. Amen? But kind of a different format, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And, and we do appreciate the feedback and all the questions that you've given. And so uh, just looking forward to digging into God's Word again tonight and hopefully sharing some things that will be helpful and encouraging to you in your faith. So let's jump right in. All right. All right. So here's the, here's the first question and has to do with temptation. And the question is, does God ever lead us into temptation to test us? Well, the answer is no. God does not lead us into temptation to test us. And we wonder about that sometimes, don't we? We wonder, is God playing games with us or is he trying to trick us or trip us up? Some churches have even kind of given that impression. But the Bible makes it very clear. I want to give you a verse, James 1, verse 13. In that passage, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted. Isn't it amazing how the Bible, just straight up. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. That's clear, isn't it? So when we are being tempted, that is not coming from God. Um, I might say it like this. God does allow tests in our lives, our faith to be tested, so that we will become stronger. The enemy brings temptation to do wrong into our lives, to trip us up or to hurt us or to prove us wrong or to mess us up. God does not do that. Now... Somehow God takes all of that, those bad decisions, uh, the choices that we've made, the temptations that we've given into, somehow God takes all those bad and evil things that happen in our world, and somehow even in the end, He's going to wrap it all up and make it into His perfect plan and purpose. But God does not tempt us or seek to uh, draw us away uh, uh, from Himself. The Bible makes that very clear. Hmm. So this next question uh, was a little bit longer, and so I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Uh, Basically, this person asked, you know, I want to be saved and and get baptized, but there are some things in my life that uh, I I don't believe are pleasing to God, whether it's um, drinking or smoking or having a a bad mouth. So the question is about our sinfulness. Uh, Do I have to clean up my life before I come to Jesus? Again, a common misconception that before I come to God, I have to get things right. The Bible does not say get your life straight and then come to God. 
In fact, the Bible says you can't get your life straight until you come to God. Isn't it funny how the enemy messes things up, twists things? The Bible in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So currently, I'm a sinner in a mess. But God says, if you come and follow me and listen to me and take my direction, I will wash your sins away. Isn't that awesome? Mm -hmm. So the Bible makes it clear. We come to God and then he cleans us up. Another verse, uh, passage Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Now listen, friends, this is new for many of us. We've been told our whole life, even by church, that you have to be a good person and then God will accept you. That is not what the Bible teaches. You say, well, Pastor Robbie, what are you saying? You're not supposed to be a good person? No. Let's don't twist things, right? What we said is you don't have to become a good person for God to accept you. You can't become a good person. So if it, if it required us to become a good person, we could never get to God. So the Bible says in Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. I hope, I hope you're hearing more. Some of you that haven't been as, to church as much, that word saved sounds a little bit odd, sounds a little bit churchy, but the more you get to know about the Bible, the more you see we really do need to be saved, don't we? And I like to use the word rescued because that doesn't sound quite as religious, so it helps kind of help us think about it a little bit more clearly. He rescues us because without His help, we're in a mess. He rescued us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. It's very clear, isn't it? There is nothing good that you can do to be saved. But according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly. God's not stingy. He's not holding out. He's not, maybe I'll be nice to you if you get things straight. Even while we were sinners, Romans 5.8 says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, that means we get a lot of great things that we don't deserve. We would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the Bible says, no, you don't get your life straight, then you come to God. Now, when you come to God, even then you won't be sinless, but you will sin less. Does that make sense? When I come to God, I won't stop sinning, but I will experience as I grow in the Lord, as He resides in my heart, that I will sin less in my life as I stay close to him. So kind of on, on the other side of that uh, question, another person asked this, why can't good people go to heaven? Okay. The Bible says, I don't mean to be ugly, but I'm just shooting straight. The Bible says there are no good people. Now, for some of us, that strikes us a little bit harsh. Okay, I can think of some people that seem pretty nice, Right? So, so hang with me for just a minute. The Bible says that none of us ultimately can be described as good. It, to be honest with you, even the good things in us are reflections of the image of God in us. 
We were created in the image of God. So sometimes we see reflections of God's goodness, right? So there are, that doesn't mean there's nothing valuable or nothing um, good in a sense that we see happening in this world. But in the sense of being good people, we can't be good enough to get to heaven. The Bible makes it very clear. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. So the Bible says that none of us, apart from God doing a work in our lives, would ever come to God. We need for God to work in our lives and draw us to Himself. Um, there may be less bad people, in a sense, if, if we want to be kind of fair. Some people may not appear to be as bad as others, right? Um, but the Bible says, all of us, a few verses down in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let me give you an illustration. If we're out, I like to, I like to fish. Uh, many of you know that. So if we're out on a boat, and we're out, uh, let's say we're out on the ocean a couple of miles from shore. Um, if our boat goes down, all of us, if we don't have life jackets on, all of us are going to drown, right? Now, some of us who couldn't swim, immediately we drown. Others of us who are in you know, maybe pretty decent shape, we swim a little ways, but we couldn't make it two miles. Others may go a little bit far. Maybe you've been training in, in some sense, or maybe you're in very good health, or you're a really good swimmer. But at some point, all of us are too far to get to shore. So some of us may give the appearance of a little bit farther progress, but drowning's drowning. Amen? Mm-hmm. So that's what the Bible says. So it's not discounting the fact that, yes, there are some people that are living completely ungodly lives, and others may appear to be living decent lives. But really, the Bible says, if we truly are good-seeking people, then we're going to give our lives to God. Does that make sense? So if you are truly wanting to do good and wanting to do right, you're going to give your life to God because you want Him to work in your life. So changing gears a little bit, you know, in our series we've uh, had several questions about marriage and and relationships. So here's another really good one uh, about about that, and it has to do with dating. Um, Someone wondered, is it okay for Christians to date non-Christians? Okay. Well, let me say, first of all, I don't believe you have to date the person that you're going to marry. Um, What I mean by that, there are some groups, some Christian groups even, that say you should not date anyone unless they're the person you're going to marry. What I would say to my kids is you should date the kind of person you might marry, right? And there's other things we could say about that, the reasons that I would encourage that. So... Just going with that, you should date the, the kind of person that you might marry. Well, what did we say a week or two ago about Christians? Who should Christians marry? 2 Corinthians, I'll just remind us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together, and sometimes that's translated unequally yoked. So you hear Christians talk about don't be unequally yoked. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Okay, so the Bible makes it clear that Christians should not marry unbelievers. So if we know that we're not to marry someone who's not a believer, why would we get a relationship started that might end in that relationship, that might end in marriage, right? 
At some point, we're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to honor God? Or am I going to stay with this person? And can I be honest with you? In my experience, God always loses. Hmm. Because what happens is we get those emotional ties and, you know, it's very strong. It's, very, it's almost impossible. Or if they do, it's painful. And so my encouragement would be if the Bible says that, that as a Christian, I should only look to marry someone who also has surrendered their life to Christ so that we can be on the same page and walking with God together, not perfectly, but that we've got the same Lord, we've got the same direction, then why would I want to get serious about someone that I know we're not going to be able to go that direction? By the way, I want to go back to something we said a couple of weeks ago. Many Christians then, we might leave here and say, okay, here's the parameters. On the first date, I've got my questions, and I'm going to ask, and I know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 that it shouldn't be a non-Christian, so I'm just going to say, um, before we get our salad, can I ask you, um, <laughs> are you a Christian? And they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Good. Okay, good. We can move on. That's not a good plan. Um, I, I don't know if I've shared this story or not, but uh, a few years ago, I was getting ready to go away to visit family for Christmas. And I met with a couple. And she was a believer, and he was not a believer. And we had been sharing Christ with him. We wanted him to come to know the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we had been sharing Christ with him. And so uh, that was really our focus. My focus was I'd love to be able to see him give his life to the Lord. And then we could talk about the relationship. Well, they were kind of antsy about things. and wanted to, you know, get married and move forward. And I said, listen... The most important thing is for him to really think about his relationship with the Lord. And so let's, let's focus on that. So sure enough, I was getting ready to leave for Christmas. And he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to accept Christ as my Savior. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. So we got together. I led him to Christ. Prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior. Now listen, after we said amen, I said, okay, I'm getting ready to go out of town. Praise the Lord. Let's rejoice. But don't do anything rash while I'm gone. Because <laughs> I knew what was going to happen. I could tell by the way that she was reacting that that was the check she needed. I was gone for Christmas. Came back and they got married. And she called me a couple of weeks later and said, Pastor Robbie, he said, I was just kidding about the accepting Christ thing because I knew that's what you wanted me to do before you would marry me. Friends, we should have a higher standard than checking off a box. We should be, if you are growing in Christ, you should be looking for someone else who is growing in Christ, is showing fruit in their life. I'm not talking about being perfect. You're, this is the biggest relationship you're going to have in your life. High standard, amen? And so, I think I shared this a few weeks ago. What I, what I heard, and I think it's great advice, you run towards Christ as hard as you can. And if somebody else catches up with you, introduce yourself. Mm. That's good advice, isn't it? Yeah. That's good. So we're going to uh, do one more here, uh, and then we're going to see what uh, has been texted in for some of our live questions today. Uh, and this one relates to the subject of alcohol. So what does the Bible say? Is it okay for Christians to drink? 
All right, here we go. Amen. (laughs) Let me just start by saying I realize that there are very likely many people in this room who drink alcohol. Um, Honestly, from my understanding, studies that have been done, 50% of pastors drink alcohol. Okay, so I want to share with you guys before I share some things with you. Whenever we look at God's Word, we try to just say, God, what do you say? And I've really honestly, I've asked the Lord, if I'm wrong about this, to show me. But I've got to be honest with you. As I look at God's Word, I don't find good reason to drink alcohol. And let me share with you why. Um, first of all, the Bible says that we should not be under the influence of anyone or anything but the Spirit of God. Okay, he should be... No, none of us are completely under His control, right? But he, the, our desire should be that we would be under His control. So let me read to you Ephesians 5, verse 18. The Bible says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's excessiveness. That's kind of out-of-control living. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is excessive, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, as soon as I read that, somebody says, Ah, but ah. It says, do not get drunk. Well, let's think about that for just a moment. Um, I want to I ask the guys, if they would, uh, to put the chart up on the screen for you to think about for just a minute. This chart shows how much alcohol you can drink before you're possibly influenced by it, before you are impaired by it, or before you're legally drunk by it. And on one side's men and on the other side's women. Just because physiologically the size of our bodies, there's a difference in how our bodies respond to that. Now, if you look at that chart, after one drink, that's the top line, after one drink, which could be a very small, like an ounce and a half of 80 proof liquor, or it could be five ounces of wine, which this is eight ounces, so let's say about that much wine, or it could be a can of beer. Okay, those are all analogous there, so they're all... All that first line. So that says that once I take, once I drink that much alcohol, I am possibly already being influenced by that one, that one five ounce or one, that one beer, that one can of beer. Actually, as you look at those lines, there's been a push nationwide to potentially bring down the illegal uh, that you're intoxicated to .05 nationwide. So if you look at that chart, 0.05 is pretty early on, right? So I just say all that to say, when you drink alcohol pretty early on, you're beginning to be possibly influenced, then pretty quickly impaired, and then, not long after that, legally intoxicated. So I just share that with you. This is a very strong substance that impairs our bodies. And it's clearly been demonstrated that way. By the way, I don't think a lot of people realize this. The Jewish people considered most of what we drink today as strong drink. Okay, What they did is they diluted uh, fermented wine. They diluted anywhere from 3 to 20 times with water. Okay, And many people believe that the reason they, they did that is basically that was their purification process. Okay, so 
but they would dilute it because they would not drink anything that would be considered strong drink in the Bible is universally condemned. And I believe as we look at the alcoholic content that we're consumed today through the process that we develop alcohol would be considered strong drink in Bible times. Um, and so I would just say, now, I will be honest, you could possibly say that beer is so low in alcoholic content that maybe that wouldn't be considered strong drink. But actually, studies have shown that beer could be one of the most dangerous uses of alcohol because it gives a false sense of, well, it's not that much. And so people tend to drink more beer. Um, So that's one thing I would say is give thought to the fact that we're to be controlled by God, not by any other person or substance. Second thing I would say is, is it wise? We want to say, just tell me, is it right or wrong? Does the Bible say I can or I can't? Well, what I would say is, is it wise to drink alcohol? So let's look at a couple of passages. Proverbs 20, verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Now, I don't like that translation because it's not really a completely accurate translation. It literally says, whoever errs by it, whoever's led astray by it is not wise. So I don't think whoever's intoxicated by it is actually the best translation. But it basically says, wine, strong drink is not smart to get a hold of. Okay, so there's just the wisdom part. But this is actually, I want to raise the standard just a little bit. If you are a Christian, you have to think about more than the minimums. Now, I want to be careful about that because some of you say, oh, it's, you know, being a Christian, you got to sign up for the military, it's hard, you know, whatever. No, I'm not talking about requirements. I'm talking about love for God and love for others. The Bible says for leaders... Proverbs 31, verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. I thought it was interesting this week that I saw the President-elect Trump said in an interview that he has never tasted alcohol because his brother died of alcoholism or as a result of alcohol at the age of 42. He said alcohol scares him to death. And he has taught his kids very strongly, guys, listen, you're leaders, you want to make a difference in this world, you want to make smart choices, don't touch alcohol. I would make the case to you, alcohol is not wise to mess around with, and all of us are leaders. All of us have people that are looking to us, that we're impacting, and we need to be very thoughtful about the decisions we're making and how they're being impacted by other influences, including alcohol. The last thing I would say is this, is just for the good of others. Romans chapter 14, verse 21. The Bible says, It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine. Now, what does what that eat meat thing? We might see that differently today if you don't understand the context. There were, there were false religions during that day sacrificing animals to idols. And then they would take those sacrificed animals and use them at the steakhouse. Okay, And so some of the Christians are like, is it okay to eat a steak from an animal that was sacrificed to an idol? And some Christians said, it's just a steak. And, and others were like, oh, no, that was sacrificed to idols. So that's the context there. And Paul was basically saying, I don't want to do anything that would cause someone else to stumble. Eat meat like that, or drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Friends, I want to be honest with you. Pastors... 
and law enforcement officials see the really, really hard sides of life. And can I tell you, alcohol has a big part. I can't stand to think that your kids would see me at Hannaford buying a 12-pack. Do I think it would kill me to drink a beer? No. Would I enjoy it? Maybe. I like to fish. I'm just sitting out there on the lake having a good time. I just want to drink a beer. Is it going to kill me? I better not be driving the boat. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Do I think it's going to kill me? Probably not. I mean, honestly, there's a certain percentage of people that are prone to alcoholism that even taking a first drink puts them in that immediate danger. I just, it's not worth it. That's what I say to my kids. It's not worth it. Um, and, And honestly, I don't know why we fight so much for the right to drink a certain drink. Aren't there other good things to taste? Because people want to say, it's not about the alcohol, I just enjoy the taste of it. I'm not meaning to be ugly, but do you really love grape juice that much? I mean, if it was, if it did not have alcohol in it, would you go to the store and say, i got to have some grape juice? I mean, we're not that passionate about apple juice. So I would just say, maybe there's something that, you know, you enjoy, but you kind of say, you know what? Well, here's another thought for parents. What parents tolerate, their kids embrace. I do not even want to give it's not worth it to me might be fun might be enjoyable might be okay it's just not worth it so my my encouragement to you now i i pause with these things because i don't want to give the impression that we're some you know hard case church right that you got to be perfect or you got to be you know whatever you need to have your own convictions before god but what i would say is it needs to be your conviction and not your preference. You need to go before the Lord about whatever it is in your life and say, God, is this something you would allow me to do? But I'm just saying, as one of your pastors, as we look at God's Word, the Bible says, danger, danger, danger. And I would make the case to you, the Bible says, it's it's just not worth it. It's not a wise decision, especially for leaders, and we're all leaders. Yeah, those are some really good principles from God's Word and uh, as we think about those things. Well, we want to take some time to answer some of those questions that have been texted into us. And uh, so we're going to take a look at some of those and uh, uh, see if we can provide some answers here. Let's go. I got my easy button. All right. (laughs) All right. So here's the first one. Um, How do you heal a broken heart from unfaithfulness? How Mm. do you forgive if you aren't ready? Mm. So the the point there, the relationship was unfaithfulness. Mm. So I'm assuming that was a spouse. You know, I, I think the only thing you can say there is just is just cling to the Lord. You know, really, the Bible says there are some things in life that without God's help, we can't fathom forgiving, can we? Um, and the, the passage that comes to my mind is Matthew 18. Because the Lord says, you know, Peter said, how many times should we forgive our brother, you know, Seven times, Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And he wasn't saying when you get to 491, that's it, okay? He wasn't saying, he wasn't saying a whole lot, but there's a limit. He was basically saying there's, there should be no limit to our willingness to forgive. Now, I should say as a side note, we talked last week about divorce and remarriage. Okay, so we talked about that it appears that God gives allowance for 
when there's unfaithfulness in marriage that a person could get divorced and remarried. But they're not required to. So I'm assuming what this person is saying is, I don't want to. I'm wanting to heal this relationship. So I think you've really got to um, come to the Lord, understand His forgiveness, because that's what Matthew 18 is about. Um, It talks about someone who was forgiven a lot, and then later they were not willing to forgive someone else of something that was still a lot but was not near as much as they had been forgiven. And the, 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 the comparison is made with God. What you did to me could be unthinkable. Amen? I mean, honestly, it is terrible what somebody did to you. But I can't help it when I come before God. It's true. What you did to me does not compare with what I have done to God. So I have to deal with that. Amen? That is the only way, truly, that we can forgive, truly the way God does, is by realizing what He's done for us and being willing to offer that to others. There's lots of other pieces to it. I mean, we need other people in our lives, support, accountability, maybe counseling. Um, It could be a process. And so there's a lot of pieces to it. But I would just say, in short, the only way we can forgive people of seemingly unforgivable offenses is if we understand what God has forgiven us for. So here's another one. How, how do you deal with someone who calls themselves a Christian but is involved in homosexuality? Well, I think similarly to anyone that we find, the Bible we talked about last week, the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong. Okay, so if we start from that viewpoint, what we're saying is there's someone who is making a choice that is not honoring to God. Um, Last week we talked about it. This one doesn't say family member, does it? Okay. Um, well, there's a lot of pieces that go into how you talk with people, uh, whether you should get involved and at what level. And so we don't really have time to dig into that as much. I think the first thing I would say is pray. Pray that God would work in their life. Pray that God would show them. Uh, if the Lord shows you clearly that you're to be a part of Him speaking into their life. Again, we've talked about this another time, and I won't have time to get into the, sort of the parameters of when should I get involved. But if the Lord shows you that, obviously we'd want to do it in a very loving, gracious, like you would with anything. I mean, I think the thing that we've got to be careful about is um, making homosexuality the worst of all possible sins. Think about if, if your friend or your family member were in any other sin. Would you be as quick to want to deal with it? If the answer is yes, I just care about them and the decision that they're making. I think I would pray about it. I think I would look for opportunity. I would be very gracious. Um, And then at that point, if there's someone that you're involved in their life on a regular basis, I think you just have to be available, but try not to push them away where you can keep that relationship and have more opportunity to give input into their life. Hmm. That's good. Uh, here's here's another one um, that has to do with relying on God in, in every situation. Are there some ways that we can um, remind ourselves or, or even even tangibly remind ourselves that we are completely reliant on the Lord in every situation? Hmm. Well, let me go back to what the question, if I could, for just a minute, the, the previous question. 
another thing I think that is important when we're talking with people about maybe things in their life that we're concerned about is putting ourselves in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And so I think getting to know that person, there's a lot of pieces to it. How well do you know them? Mm-hmm. But getting to know them, finding out what, because if they're, if they're moving away from really God's design for their life, there's a reason for that usually. And so really if we can minister to that hurt, I think we would go a long way towards showing them we truly care about them mm-hmm. and we love them and we want the best for them. And so I would just say that to really want to get to know them and find out what God is doing in their lives and maybe what hurt is there that's causing them to go away that God says is not best for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so ask me that question again. Sure. How do you tangibly remind yourself that you are completely reliant on the Lord in every situation? <laughs> it sounds like you're asking me personally. Um, honestly, I don't have to remind myself very often because the Lord in my life reminds me constantly that I need Him. And so maybe what I would say to make that real practical I think one of the safest places in the world to be is serving God. Because when you're serving the Lord, you are constantly reminded, I need God. Honestly, guys, if I wasn't your pastor, I would probably have more sin in my life. Now, I'm I'm plenty sinful. I'm just saying, I would be probably a lot more sin in my life just because I would let up. That sounds bad, doesn't it? I'm just being honest, right? But I know all you guys, now be careful, you know, I can't handle that pressure. But in a sense, if I'm providing leadership, we're providing leadership, doesn't it help, Chris? Mm -hmm. It helps me knowing that you guys, I wouldn't want to hurt God's work in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I cling to the Lord daily. And there's something about that service, too, that makes that absolutely, I can't serve God without His strength. So I think that would be my first kind of knee-jerk answer would be the best thing that's helped me keep my focus on the Lord. And again, I'm still growing and working on it too. But the one thing that I find consistently brings me back to reliance on Him is that I'm serving Him and I'm in such a position in my life that you would know if I'm not relying on the Lord, I'd be in the ditch. Like, hmm. And by the way, I'm not saying this to okay pastors who, who get off track or do wrong things, but we really are quick to criticize pastors who mess up. They're just like you. Now, I agree, and, and, and before God, it is our desire, amen? Mm-hmm. I never want to do anything to dishonor God or to hurt God's work in you. But honestly, if, if, if one of us messed up, I would not say, man, I'm going to quit being a Christian, you know what I mean, or... Or, man, I should have known, you know, they're all fakers. You know what I would say? I'll say, God, bless, bless his heart. I mean, the enemy got him. He caught him in a weak moment. You know what I mean? And so let's give room for pastors to make mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean everything's okay. They'd have to, you know, work through some things. Uh, but anyway, that would be my answer. The best discipline in my life is serving God in other people's lives. I would highly encourage it. But it does make you dependent on him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you have asked some really great questions in this series. And uh, we've just uh, been seeking to, with the Lord's help, really say, okay, God, what do you have to say in your word? Uh, and so I, I hope that it's been beneficial to you and helpful uh, in your walk with the Lord. 
And uh, so is there anything as we close that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think we got time for maybe, you think so? Maybe another question or two? Sure. All right. We, we can do it. That's good. Let's do one more. Okay, so uh, this one uh, is about the tribulation. Okay. Um, got time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will Christians go through the tribulation? I would say I don't think so. Now, I'm sorry if I'm not as definitive as you'd like for me to be. I'm just honest. As I look at God's Word, it appears to me from all the evidence, and by the way, honestly, I have studied about this topic probably more than any topic I've ever studied. And some really great and godly people have different views of what the Bible really kind of says about this. Uh, I think to some extent God's made it that way, so we'll keep our focus on the mission and not get caught. What do you say in Acts chapter 1? Don't worry about how all this is going to take place. But I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But you go and be my witnesses. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean we just forget about this and don't worry about it. Um, if the tribulation is considered God's wrath being poured out on the earth, then the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God is not, First Thessalonians, God has not destined us for wrath. Okay, so I, I believe there's several passages that we could point to. Philippians 4, I mean, um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is what goes along with this called the rapture. I mean, if you've heard about that, the Bible talks about the rapture for Christians. So the question is, does that happen before the tribulation? I should step back and say, some of you may not realize, the Bible says there's a seven-year period coming at the end of this world of seven years of tribulation. And so the question is, do Christians leave before that, the rapture before that, pre-tribulational rapture. Some believe mid-tribulational rapture. Others believe post-tribulational rapture. As we look at all the evidence, I believe the Bible does teach that we will not go through the tribulation as Christians. Okay. I think we can do one more. Okay. (laughs) These are no no problem. So so here's another one. I wouldn't say no problem. (laughs) Actually, I'll give you the next one. Uh, God's, this has to do with God's sovereignty and man's free will. I am giving you the next one. <laughs> Can you explain the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? I mean, honestly, that question, I think it really is talking about something else, but uh, ultimately, but that question is kind of simple to me. God is absolutely sovereign overall. Amen. So there's not a lot to explain. God is overall. Uh, as far as man's free will, that term has always sort of bothered me a little bit um, because the Bible says in Romans 6 that we are not free. The Bible says we are a servant to someone. It's either we're a servant to sin or we're a servant to God. So that free will idea, I don't mean to kind of parse words, but we're not really completely free, period. We're either slaves to sin or we're, we're servants to God. Uh, I think what it's really asking is in terms of, I, w- I would probably emphasize our responsibility. We have responsibility for our choices. We do have choices and we're responsible for those choices. Now, I think that probably that question really is getting to the question about, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> Election predestination, that kind of whole question. So we don't really have time to talk about that today, so we'll be just... I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
Here's what I'm going to say. Short, easy answer before dismiss. The Bible teaches that if God doesn't choose us and do a work in our lives, that we would never come to Him. Somehow, the Bible seems to indicate, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, you know, challenge people to respond to God, to give their life to Him. So there seems to be some measure of us responding to God's work in our lives. Now, that doesn't add anything to the work that God has done. But the Bible seems to teach it's all of God. He chooses us. If He doesn't draw us, uh, one passage, John six forty four. no one's coming to the Father unless the Father draws Him. So the Bible teaches that. But there does seem to be some sort of response that we have to have. So I don't really argue with people about that. Um, that's a common argument. All I know is that the Bible teaches seems to teach both those things. So um, I don't really kind of get in camps about it. I just, the Bible teaches that. And I don't, I don't understand all of that. People have spent centuries trying to figure it out. I'm not saying that half-hearted. There's more that we could say and we could another time. But um, the Bible tells us to go preach the good news. Mm-hmm. And, and God's going to have to do that work. But we need to preach the good news and give people an opportunity to respond. So we're just going to be faithful. Amen. All right. Well, I think we'll... Uh, we'll end with that one? Okay, sounds good. Time. All right. Well, uh, I hope you've enjoyed our time together. And uh, we were trying tonight to do a little bit more of the live ones because we haven't been able to get to as many of those over the last few weeks. So, uh, But I do want to share that uh, we may do this again another time. Uh, we may have a, like a one weekend thing where we do just, you know, periodically through the year we do once or twice a year. We may do like a panel discussion with our pastors. Um, But friends, listen, we're here. And don't feel like this is the end of the story. I hope this is stirring up in you. I want to know more. Amen? I want to know the Lord. Not not just to know information, not just to have all the answers as a Christian, but I want to know God. And I want to know how He works. And I want to understand His Word. So we have growth groups where you can get together and work it out. You know, we, we have people that uh, over this next year, we're going to be training people to disciple other people. Somebody who could sit down with you and help you to work through things. And they're not going to have all the answers, but we'll work together to find answers as you have questions. Every week, you can write a question down on the communication card. We'll do our best to answer you back. So uh, we'll keep these questions that weren't touched on uh, this weekend, per se, or, or during the series even. And we'll try to answer them in another way. But, uh, but like I said, we're here. We're not going anywhere. If you have questions, there'll be a prayer team after the service where you can come and talk to somebody immediately right now tonight. So I want to ask us to bow our heads for just a moment as we get ready to dismiss. Boy, my prayer is that God just uses His Word. And I hope that that everything that I've shared has been in line with His Word to the best of our ability to reflect what it teaches. But I just want to ask you what God is doing in your heart right now. And every time we meet together, we want to give an opportunity for God to sort of draw the net in your heart. So what is that? What is God speaking to you about? Which one of these questions maybe rang the most true in your life?
What commitment is God drawing you to, to maybe to serve? As I shared, I want to be close to God. I want to stay close to God. Pastor Robbie said serving has been one of the greatest things to keep him on his knees before God. God, help me to step out and be more involved, to get on the front lines and know I need God. Whatever it is, would you talk to the Lord about that right now? If you're here right now and you don't even know if you have a relationship with God, friend, can I share, share? We've shared some hard things. People have asked some hard questions and we've tried to answer them graciously but honestly. And I pray that you would hear that not perfection or you can't ever mess up, but I pray that you would hear actually the opposite that because we've all messed up, we need a Savior. And really, those of us who've trusted Christ, We're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying to live for Him so that others can see Christ through us. Would you say, I want to give my life to God? Right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Savior. Lord, I thank you that I don't have all the answers, but I have you. Thank you for the work that you did for me on the cross, for rising from the dead, as was sung earlier. Pray that you would come into my life and save me and forgive me. God, I thank you for this precious church family and their hunger for you. What a joy it is to serve with them and to serve them. And I pray that you bless each one, Lord, to continue with an eager heart to pursue your heart. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. We love you, Lord.